Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. (laughs) Or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. Hello listeners, this is Movie Oubliette, the globe-encircling movie review podcast with me, Dan, making my own muesli cereal uh, down here in Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, taking the oath of allegiance to an unelected tax dodger in Cambridge, UK. (laughs) Uh, In this podcast, we debate over genre films, sci-fi, horror and fantasy that you may have forgotten about because electrically charged, pale teenagers who stare forlornly out windows are what we're all about (laughs) (laughs) definitely hello conrad (laughs) hello dan so making your own muesli i'm impressed well it's not that it's not that hard really you you, you've got your oats a bit of honey um, some cinnamon a little bit of cardamom you just toast it in the oven uh, and then you just pile in a whole bunch of nuts and dried fruit and hey presto your own muesli (laughs) Uh, Does it taste nice? Yeah, it tastes delicious. It's it's del- yeah. I've also added some uh, some cornflakes and some rice puffs as well. I'm just <laughs> always so dissatisfied by store bought muesli. Like I like a lot of other bits, and there's not enough fruit normally. Um, but also just right. you know, just have a change from my normal toast in the morning. I don't know what what you have for breakfast normally. But yeah, I just normally have toast. Yeah, I'm a lot of uh, granolas and mueslis and flakes. I'm I'm not big on toast. Bread just makes me feel bloated if I eat too much of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't eat much. It's it's uh, because I I still work so early at, at the post office that um it's just one piece of toast uh, with a with a mm. bit of uh, promite on it, which is like a Austra- oh, no. an Australian <laughs> sort of marmite alternative. <laughs> Yeast extract. Yeah. You don't like yeast extracts? <laughs> I love them. I use them. In, like, I know. They're great on toasts. I use them as, as meat substitutes for stocks and, and gravies. And oh, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm afraid <laughs> it's it's the typical Marmite. You either hate it or love it. I hate it, unfortunately. Yeah. It's yeah. not for me. Okay. I, I me. do miss UK Marmite because it's different. It's different. Ah. Obviously, in Australia, we have a. Uh, Vegemite is a, is a normal one, but New Zealand mm. also has a Marmite, which is very different from the UK Marmite. It's like a different oh. type of spread. Yeah, completely. Mm. Wow. Maybe I'll send you a care package with some Marmite. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. So uh, you're not watching the coronation then? No, I'm here talking to you, Dan. It's, uh Yeah. No, the whole country, I suppose, is is supposed to be glued to the non-stop every channel coverage of some man getting a weird hat put on his head. Yeah. Because that's supposed to distract us from the fact that this country is in the worst state it's been in in decades. But um, 
It's not working because we had local elections this week and the uh, the ruling party got completely trashed wow. and lost a thousand seats. So, yeah, it's a weird time in the UK. We're supposed to look at the shiny object, but I don't think it's going oh, to work. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I find it fascinating, all that sort of traditional stuff, though, because we, you know, in Australia, it's such a new country. We We just don't have that. We don't have thousand-year-old traditions no it's it's traditions are great yeah and it's good for tourism and for a sense of cultural mm, identity yeah i guess but uh yeah it's a lot of money being spent when three million people are below the poverty line and sh- relying on food banks to keep alive yeah, you know yeah, yeah. read the room maybe yeah but that's just my opinion <laughs> yeah that's true Yes, but there we go. It looks nice on TV, I'm sure. Mm, Another mm. series of the crown in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, yes, yes. So uh, anything in our mailbag today, Conrad? We do. We had a lovely long letter from longtime listener Eva, who actually took a break last year, but is now catching up. And she just caught up with our episode on City of Ember and felt compelled to write. Uh-huh. Uh, she says, you mentioned that it seemed implausible that all the light bulbs would still be running after 200 years. But in fact, light bulbs can last for hundreds of years. Look up the centennial light bulb that hasn't been turned off since 1901. Wow. Thanks to capitalism, light bulb companies aren't allowed to make everlasting bulbs so they manufacture them to go out after several years wow i did not know that no me neither i thought that this whole thing of planned obsolescence was relatively new but apparently not i hate how companies design things to not work after a period of time i just hate that it's 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 annoying why can't things be fixed forever I know, it's scummy and you can't repair things because they're all glued together and tightly packed. Yes, so. yes, yes, yes. just goes to landfill. It's terrible. Mm. Uh, Eva says, you also mentioned how so many books had children's futures being decided at birth, whether it be by sorting hat or picking a name from a bowl. And as someone who came of age when these books were popular, I can say for me they served as kinds of personality tests. Mm. Like you could talk with your friends about which faction you'd be a part of and imagine your life as an adult where you never have to make any pesky decisions about going to college or job (laughs) opportunities. Everything was just picked for you from the start yeah yeah i know it's funny though because our whole society hinges on choice yeah when we have all the choice we make bad decisions so yeah (laughs) it's kind of a catch-22 isn't it it is yeah but i i never imagined that uh young adult fiction readers might have found it sort of comforting (laughs) but i guess yeah that generation's experience of the world is quite different Mm. from mine You also mentioned how everyone wore so much wool. This astounds me too. As someone who's writing a spec-fic book where people live in a large confined area, I've been doing a lot of research on just how much farmland you'd need to support a village, even on a vegetarian diet. Uh I'm hoping Ember had several unseen levels with vitamin D lamps blasting acres of wheat fields. Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, That's right. No sunlight down it's there. It's not terribly plausible. No, no, no. <laughs> Oddly enough, I noticed Apple TV has this new thing called Silo, a series of people living underground and oh, wondering okay. what's above and whether they've been told lies. And I thought, oh, Ember flashbacks. Yeah, right. Mm. 
On Vampire's Kiss, long-time listener Nick Hardy said, This was so much fun. Any episode which includes Lars Henriks talking about Nick Cage and saying the line, Hey guys, did you hear the story about the hot yoghurt? Automatically (laughs) raises it above other episodes. (laughs) Yeah, what a story. (laughs) I know. I agree. And that came at me from nowhere. And I always do such, I think, good research for our episodes, but that one completely passed me by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. It is. And finally, we heard from Surge from Cold Crash Pictures on Martin. And he said, The magic of horror movies for me is that they can make you really uncomfortable, but you keep watching anyway because you really want to know what happens next. Most usually skimp on one quality or the other, but I think Martin nails them both. Mm. Some of the most uncomfortable on-screen violence I've seen since Raw, paired with an uncanny sense of, where the hell is this going? (laughs) And of course, where it ends up going makes perfect sense in hindsight. So glad Movie Oubliette reviewed this one, as it wasn't on my radar in the slightest. It's not available on Blu-ray in the US, as far as I can tell, but it's currently streaming on Tubi. Right. Ooh, okay. Oh, I'm very surprised by that, Serge. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, he did. And uh, it's good to know that it's on Tubi for anybody that's wondering where to find Mm, it. So there mm. you go. Oh, well, I I guess on with the episode. What are we doing today, Conrad? Well, let me just skip on over to the Ublet and find out. (laughs) Oh, dear. It's thundering in here. Mind the lightning. Yeah, it's really coming down. Oh, there are some bullies. Oh, excuse me. They've ripped off all my clothes. (laughs) It's uncomfortable. Buy me a drink first. Hang on, let me just... Waddle over it. I think I found the film in a puddle. Yeah. Okay, I'm coming back. Okay. <laughs> Hope you didn't get too muddy. Yeah, honestly, so rude in the Oubliette these days. <laughs> so what are we doing today, Conrad? What do you have? So today we're doing the 1995 American science fiction fantasy drama film Powder, mm-hmm. written and directed by Victor Salva, he of Jeepers Creepers fame. Starring Mary Steenburgen, Sean Patrick Flannery, Lance Henriksen, and Jeff Goldblum. I love a bit of Jeff. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens in this movie? Well, the product of immaculate conception by lightning, the mysterious Jeremy, nicknamed Powder because of his hairless, ghostly white complexion, is brought up by his grandparents after his mother dies in childbirth and his father rejects him. Once they too shuffle off this mortal coil, Jeremy is forced into the outside world after years of living in a basement surrounded by books. Mm. Unfortunately, Jeremy emerges into the most intolerant town in Texas, filled with people who misunderstand, bully and abuse him, especially when his supernatural abilities become apparent. They seem limitless, but include telekinesis, telepathy, psychic projection, photographic memory, superintelligence, a magical relationship with animals, and static electric parlor tricks. (laughs) Fortunately, he has some friends. A taciturn sheriff with a terminally ill wife, a cool Jeff Goldblum-like physics teacher, who fortunately is played by Jeff Goldblum, and a child (laughs) services psychiatrist played by everyone's dream mum, Mary Steenburgen. 
Can they save powder from the increasingly scared and lynch-hungry townsfolk? Will powder ascend to a higher plane of human existence while pinwheeling his arms in an open field during a thunderstorm? And will there be lots of completely unjustifiable male nudity? Find out after the break. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. See you soon. And we are back to talk about Powder, a 95 fantasy sci-fi movie. Dan, had you seen this magical story before? Yes, I had seen this, but not when it came out. No, not in the 90s. I think in my 20s I I saw it. Mm. And I don't really remember it at the time. I just remember it being very cheesy. (laughs) And also the main character being albino, like completely white, like Mm. not naturally white. Yes, Quite spooky looking. Mm. I saw it in theatres, I think, when it was oh, released. Oh, wow. Okay. My overall impression of it was, this is sentimental garbage. <laughs> and I completely forgot about it. Yeah. And the only other way that it's kind of lived on in my memory is, of course, because it is scored by the late, great Jerry Goldsmith. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I obviously have the deluxe edition of the soundtrack Ooh. because, and we'll probably talk about this in more detail later, I think the music is very, very beautiful and very, very Jerry Goldsmith. As for the effect it has on the movie, we can discuss that later. Mm. The subject matter it deals with is already quite sentimental isn't it yeah uh so you have this kid that is his grandparents have died and he's been found in the basement of his house and he's yeah very white complexion very unnatural looking he hasn't seen the real world Mm. very much a fish out of water story having to deal with humanity and the evils of the world, while also having kind of mother-father figures with uh, Mary Steen. Is it Steen Burgeon? How you pronounce her last name? Well, I've always said Mary Steen Burgeon, but maybe... Is it Bergen? <laughs> I don't it know. could be Bergen, yeah. It could be. <laughs> I, I've never actually said her name out loud, even though we have covered a movie with her in it. <laughs> yeah, she was the lead in One Magic Christmas. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Mary Steen Bergen or Burgeon, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, she does tend to play the same character every time. Just yeah. the mother finger. Uh, yeah. Very nurturing, very kind-hearted and lovable. Mm. So you've got her as the mother figure, and, and then you've got kind of like Lance Hendrickson and Jeff Goldblum as kind of father figures. Well, I think of Jeff Goldblum as the cool uncle. Well, <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, Jeff Goldblum was... A delight yeah. to watch in this movie. <laughs> he always is, though, isn't like, he? <laughs> I don't remember him being in the movie uh, when I first watched it. Right. But, yeah, seeing him again, just like, oh, he just lights up the screen. He's just, everything he says can only be said by Jeff Goldblum yeah. in the way that he says it. I know. He can say anything. He could, <laughs> he could read the news, like horrific, traumatic news, and it would be like, oh, that's so enthralling. Yes, I know. It's just charming and delightful. Yeah. From the very first scene where you cut to powder at school for the first time and you're on a blackboard and an, a hand from an unseen person writes the word molecules on the board and the camera pulls back and there's Jeff Goldblum with this 
big winning smile on his face yeah. and he just goes yeah. molecules <laughs> you know and you just think it's jeff goldblum <laughs> yeah there are some figures of empathy and kindness in the movie that just want to find a place for powder in this world mm. um but everyone else. I know yeah. it's just evil and horrid. I just <laughs> just do not understand. So many times in my notes I wrote down, why is everyone so cruel? Yeah. Because albinism is not that rare. It certainly wasn't undocumented in 1995. So I just do not understand why everybody is staring at him. You know, even the Mary Steenburgen character says, I think she's called Jessie, isn't she? She says... I've never seen anything like it. Mm. And so there's one in 20,000 people in the US and Europe are diagnosed with albinism. Yeah. 1,450 in Texas alone. Right, right. I didn't know that it was that common. Mm. I don't know. It just seems implausible that he would seem so strange to attract this kind of attention. And second of all, that their instant reaction to it would be so hostile. Everyone yeah. is so hostile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, should we go into themes? Because I, I do feel mm. like it was very metaphorical for, like, homophobia, maybe? Yeah. Or racism. I, I mean, I think it's not racism. But I think he is he does represent a gay character, even though he isn't a gay character, but sort of the uh, sort of metaphorical sense of a gay character mm. and how he's treated. And, I mean, he they do refer to him, especially the bullies, with a lot of derogatory homophobic slurs. Yeah, the bullies use the word faggot a few times. And there's a lot of that because it's the bullies that are targeting him. I think it's like an all-male state home. Yeah, I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. Like an orphanage with all guys that are exactly the same age. Yeah, I know. It's peculiar. Mm. And hundreds of them, by the look of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. So Texas has got a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of children that need state care, uh, surprised me. I'm sure mm. that's not a realistic depiction because it seemed like a fairly small town. It didn't seem like it needed a facility of that size. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I was yeah. confused when Jesse said to Pow, did you want to go to school for the first time? Because I thought, hasn't he done that already? Yeah, oh, I no. know. <laughs> I thought he was at some very bleak boarding school. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, then he goes to a normal school but he doesn't go for long he goes for what one day is it i don't think he's there for long because yeah electricity hits him in jeff goldblum's physics class and then yes that's the end of it pretty much yeah no i see what you mean i mean often in the case and it's one of the reasons why queer culture finds horror has such an affinity for horror in the past because it, it usually features monsters or things that are othered in some way and rejected by society and quite often queer people will look at that and have an affinity for that character more than the heroes yeah so yeah i think you're right there's definitely that theme it is very queer the whole movie is very queer yeah. even though the character isn't technically gay in the movie he seems very gay yes there's one scene where he stares at this other boy for some reason just wringing water over his, his like shirtless body <laughs> i mean it's pretty obvious yes it's a very strange thing to do in the first place i don't know why you would take your you know after exercising take your wife beater off cover it with water and then sort of wring it out over your face and do some sort of diet coke break ad <laughs> i know yeah 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 it's ridiculous it's very <laughs> Very, very seductive. And Powder is just, you know, eyes wide, just staring at this guy. And there is, like you said, a lot of sort of male skin 
shown. The male form is out on display in this movie. Yeah, it has a queer eye, the movie. A lot of that has to do with the director, obviously. And some of it is very difficult to justify. I mean, the hazing ritual at the state orphanage is a spoon being stuck on the end of your nose, which is shockingly restrained because hazing rituals are usually more sort of about humiliation on a grander scale, of yeah. often sexual humiliation. But it's not that that drives the bullies to rip all of Powder's clothes off and throw him in a puddle near the climax of the movie. Mm. They do that seemingly for no reason whatsoever other than the fact that he watched somebody rinse their wife beat her over themselves. Yeah. But, I mean, that that again, it, it seemed to have a sort of a homophobic tone to the whole scene. Like, they really do treat him like he is wrong, like as, as a human. Yeah. Being, you know, enthralled by some guy being shirtless. Right. Yeah. I read a really good review, actually, a contemporary review by Stephen Bayadrovsky. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Mm -hmm. In Cinema Fantastique magazine. Uh He says, it was always apparent, even without knowledge of the director's past, which we will have to get onto, that something was up. The most obvious example occurs when the title character watches a bare-chested teenage athlete rinsing off in slow motion. Mm -hmm. The alleged content of the scene, an outsider's envy of someone who fits in i interrupt here and say that i think it's not that i think he is envious of his skin oh i think that's what it's supposed to be about yeah i did not get that no no um so to go back to mr biodrovsky he says is so obviously upstaged by the underlying homoeroticism as to be laughable. Had Salva simply come out of the closet, one might have admired his daring. Instead, such gratuitous intrusions erupt at inappropriate moments, as if betraying a hidden personal agenda. Yeah, I I thought that as well. And I I actually thought the connection that um, the Powder character has with Lindsay the girl in his classroom Mm. felt very forced and just completely out of nowhere. Yeah. (laughs) Just shoehorned in. Like it it kind of didn't even really need to be there. No. And she's not developed much as a character. She's in like two scenes maybe. Yeah. She's just a pawn. Another reason why the villagers will want to (laughs) lynch powder because she kisses him at one point and the father does not like that very much. It's just another inciting incident for people to hate him. Yes. A lot of the sort of tone of this movie did really remind me of like Stephen King movies, mm. like The Green Mile as well, where you've got this character that has sort of special powers and yes. helps a dying <laughs> wife, very similar. So, and also small town, sort of rural town setting as well, very much a Stephen King sort of setting. Yeah, Carrie obviously figures looms in the background as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think also. It's pretty plain that there is a religious metaphor going on here. Yes, yes. A lot of uh, talk about faith and belief and a sort of humanity overcoming 
technology, uh, I think one of the characters says at one point. Yeah, and I think generally he just he appears to be born of immaculate conception. He spends his life as a pacifist, advocating for uh, empathy and uh, love between people and care for animals. And then after he's demonised by the townsfolk, he ascends to the heavens at the end. So it feels very much like a Jesus metaphor throughout. Yeah. But Victor Salva seems to want to present him in a way that is more ambiguous. Sometimes he's quite threatening, particularly in the middle when he's having difficulty with people and with adjusting. He seems quite scary in some scenes. So I think sometimes he wants the audience to be unsure of powder. Yeah, yeah. It did remind me of the movie Bright a little oh, okay. bit. I mean, that goes the extreme of bad mm, yeah <laughs> uh, having powers and then choosing the dark side yeah i i do want to ask did you like powder as a character because i found him a little bit insufferable <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> yeah just very mopey very like upset and not a lot of warmth to that character there are some scenes where what he does in terms of empathy that's the thing that i find the most interesting about him is powder as a conduit for empathy he sort of forces empathy on other people by connecting them to experience what each other are thinking and feeling Mm. he helped lance hendrickson's sheriff character resolve a split with his son and say goodbye to his wife on her deathbed at a point where she was no longer verbal anymore Mm. so i quite liked that aspect of him yeah I would agree, yeah. And what he was trying to say to humanity from that perspective. But his powers just seem to be all over the map. And I don't know know. what they're doing with them thematically. Yeah. And the film's attitude towards intelligence is also very confusing because it keeps saying that Powder is incredibly intelligent. And it tries to stage this by having him memorise all of the books in his basement, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is you know, photographic memory is an ability. It doesn't say anything about intelligence because he seems to have read so much, but he doesn't seem to understand the world at all. Like, he expects Lindsay to be able to read other people's minds as well. Have you ever looked inside somebody's mind and heard what they're thinking? It's like, no, people don't do that, Powder. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And later they talk about him having an IQ score that's off the charts. But again... Scoring high in IQ does not make you an emotionally capable, socially well-adjusted human being. In Mm -hmm. fact, far from it. There are different types of intelligence and they're unconnected. And the movie's trying to claim that he's just, I don't know, innately perfect in every way. And I don't Mm. buy it. He seems very immature and very unprepared and very naive. Yeah. And also... He just evaporates into electricity at the end. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Spoilers here. <laughs> I mean, that seems like an easy way out, buddy. Like, don't <laughs> don't come to grips with humanity. Just absorb yourself into a storm. So, yeah, I found the powers, yeah, very confusing. So like, you did mention it's electricity. He's, like, controlling electricity, but yet he can't control electricity. He can't be near any power poles and stuff like that because he just gets zapped. So in the classroom with the Jacob's Ladder device, he gets like totally zapped and starts levitating. But then he, yeah, he seems to have telekinetic powers because he opens doors without touching them. He smashes windows without touching them. Yeah. So it is very confusing. Like, what are your powers? Just everything? His powers are so undefined 
that it's difficult to accept it in some kind of reality. If they just stuck to one, yeah, and we could have explored that in a realistic human setting as part of a drama, then maybe you could have engaged with it. But mm. it's just all over the place. Ebert says they limit Powder's activities to the conventions of genre pictures instead of exploring his effect in a more realistic world. Mm. I would argue against that in a way because there are places in the film where he kind of breaks genre expectations. So, for example, when he comes across a deer that's been shot, I was expecting based on Starman, which we've already covered. I was covered. reminded of Starman, yeah. yeah. I thought he was going to bring it back to life. I thought he was going to bring it back to life. He does not do that. He does something else that's incredibly powerful. He forces the person who shot it to experience its death, yeah. which completely changes his view of hunting, which defied my expectation completely. Yeah. And then you mentioned The Green Mile, which came in 1999, which has a character that can heal people mm. and he heals somebody's cancer so i thought when the sheriff had a terminally ill wife i thought well i can see where this is going yeah yeah, um, yeah. but no he just helps him say goodbye to yeah, her communicate sort of telepathically yeah yeah so i think ebert was slightly wrong there i think the genre conventions were subverted in terms of what i was expecting of them yeah i mean yes in in that sort of sense but in terms of drama sense i don't know i found this movie incredibly cheesy like very sentimental and just like a lot of emotion and the music backing up the emotion to the point where it's like, oh, it's just like drenched in like emotion and <laughs> and sentimentality. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help that the central figure of Powder is, as you say, effeminate and slightly camp. And, and because I think of the heaviness of the makeup that's on him, it makes his eyes look very pink because obviously they're being irritated. Yeah. Or Yeah, they look like purple or something. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like the whites of his eyes are very irritated and red oh, right, and he's yeah. just staring out of this white face with these big eyes that are sort of pink so he looks like he's been crying all day and he's about to do it again yeah, he just yeah. constantly like this bambi that's wounded and mary steenbergen's jesse says to him you're too good for this world and I don't know. And I'll tell you one thing that really distracted me, and lots of critics noted this at the time, the trilby and the loose shirts and the trousers and the gap between the trousers and the brogue shoes. He just looks like 90s era Michael Jackson. He does. He really does. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't help. I thought he was just going to start moonwalking. <laughs> I did too, especially when he's pinwheeling across the field at the end. Oh, yeah, And they're yeah. doing the optical effects on him to make the parts of him that aren't his clothes glow and because of the gap between his trousers and his shoes like it looks like he's got the glowing glittery moonwalker socks on uh, he's just going to start yeah, doing yeah, smooth yeah, criminal yeah. or something that's going to be the finale <laughs> of the movie yeah. yeah it's very unfortunate I think mm, <laughs> that mm. presentation because yes. it undermines how often did it tip it over into I'm just laughing at it when did it go from pathos to bathos for you yeah I mean it was mainly all the more homoerotic scenes, I guess. Yeah. But in terms of, like, effects, though, with... I mean, I guess we'll go more into it with, in the movies, but, like, it was actually really good practical effects-wise. Like, it does hold up. Mm. Apart from maybe the final scene with the optical stuff. Yes. That looks 
very perfect and like slapped on there. Mm. All the other practical effects, really well done. And it does support the sort of belief that he does have supernatural powers, Mm. which I didn't expect it to hold up so well. No, it's well measured as well, isn't it? It's not too much to break what they're obviously trying to go for, which is a fairly serious drama but a little bit of a fable. It sort of reminded me of Edward Scissorhands. It's sort yeah, of magical yeah, fable yeah, yeah. territory, but oh, not quite. Yeah, similar character as well. Mm. Except it, I think the difference between this and, like, let's say the Tim Burton film is, like, Tim Burton films have a lot of quirk and a lot of comedy, mm. whereas this was just dead serious yeah. all the way through. The only parts that I laughed probably unintentionally were, were the lines that, Jeff Goldblum said, because yes. he's just amazing and, and laughable, but not at him just because he's present. <laughs> he just has to be present and I'll be like, ah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> You're right, it is. It's deathly serious, the whole thing, and very, I don't know, very po-faced and sincere and sentimental. Yeah. It's a very fine line to walk before you sort of tip over into, I'm just laughing at it now. Yes. So I guess, should we address the elephant in the room? Victor Salva. We kind of have to, yeah. 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 (laughs) So Victor Salva, on one of his previous movies, Clown House, which was funded by Francis Ford Coppola, Mm -hmm. apparently his behaviour on that towards the male lead was inappropriate, shall we say. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, eventually there was an investigation and commercial videotapes and magazines depicting child pornography were seized at Victor Salva's home, along with a homemade tape Mm -hmm. showing a sex act with a minor. Salva later pleaded guilty to charges of lewd and lascivious conduct, oral copulation with a person under 14, and procuring a child for pornography. And at his sentencing, prosecutor said Salva appeared to seek jobs in which he could work with children. Mm. He went to prison. Yep. And uh, he was released. But the fact that he was able to get this job, especially as this is a Disney movie, Hollywood Pictures, which is one of Disney's brand names for its more mature material, was the source of some controversy. So the victim of his abuse... Nathan Winters, picketed screenings of Powder mm-hmm. when it was released to try to get people to not go and watch it. And perhaps this affected the film's success. It did not do spectacularly well. Yeah. It was released in October of 95, had a budget of about 10 million, took a box office of 30. Mm. So, yeah, it didn't do fantastically well. But Victor Salva still being employed. Yeah. And I guess the question is, should he be or should he not be or has he served his time and therefore should he be allowed to go on with his life because that's what the system is for? Yeah, he's been punished. He's done his time and he's come out the other side Mm -hmm. apparently remorseful. Yeah. And he hasn't strayed from that path since. There's no other allegations that have arose. One detail you missed was the victim at the time was 12. Yes. And Victor Selva was, I think, 29, 30 at the time. So that's not great. No. Uh, And also there there are interviews that you can find on YouTube with the victim, Nathan Forrest Winters, and he does detail that it was years of grooming from Victor 
it wasn't just a one occurrence. It was like years. And so, you know, that's not great. That's not good. No. But he has done his time. It was supposed to be three years in jail. He only did 15 months because of good behavior, apparently. He's always been supported by Francis Ford Coppola. I think Francis Ford Coppola's lawyers also tried to sue the victim's parents for damages or something or breach of contract or something. So that's not good either. No. So it's messy. It's a messy situation. And I've tried to find interviews or anything about um, any of the cast on his, you know, subsequent films uh, who have worked with Victor Selva. And everyone said uh, he's great. Like, no bad behavior or weird creepiness or anything. So I guess he has atoned, maybe? I don't know. Do we just hate a criminal forever? Can they not sort of redeem themselves? Well, pedophilia is just so triggering. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. There's probably nothing more stigmatized. And yet our justice system is based on the idea of reform rather than punishment. And as you say, if you look at interviews of people who have worked with him since, like so Sean Patrick Flannery, best known probably for the young Indiana Jones series just before this, who plays Powder in the movie, Mm. when he was asked in 2009, so this is significantly later, who was his favourite director to work with, he replies without hesitation, Victor Salva, who directed Powder, put aside the controversy, that guy is a fucking director, man. Mm -hmm. This guy was one of the most talented directors I've worked with. What he shines in is something delicate like powder. When I look back on that movie, it was something really special. You get into the business to do films like that. Mm. So Sean Patrick Flannery is a huge supporter and advocate of his director on powder. Mm. But it's very difficult to separate art and artist. It is. Always. Yes. And it's particularly difficult when his films do sexualize and fetishize male bodies mm-hmm. and young male bodies always as well always yeah always yeah it's in jeepers creepers where justin long's body is fetishized the female character is kind of just like <laughs> oh you're here you know it's mm-hmm. and even in the sequel with a whole busload of athletes yes and it's yeah. Just, yeah it's pretty constant and in this movie I just surprised that Sean Patrick Flannery, I'd really like to ask him, didn't you ask your director why you had to be stripped naked and thrown in a puddle Mm. for the climax of this movie? Because it's really not necessary. And there's only one reason why that scene is in there. This film is written and directed by Victor Salva, and there really is only one reason. He wanted to film Sean Patrick Flannery naked. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think that's why it's there. Yeah. I mean, it's the gay male gaze, I guess. It is. Like, there there are so many shots with guys with their shirts off. And I've seen another movie that he's done, Peaceful Warrior, Mm -hmm. and that's centered on on a male gymnast. And there are lots of shots of the male form Mm. in that movie as well. And I had no idea at the time, because I just thought, oh, this is a very inspiring kind of pseudo-supernatural movie about a gymnast. But looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, I can see that now. Yeah, And in and, and Powder as well, I noticed that the Powder character, he only makes friends with mainly middle-aged men. Mm. Mainly. And there's that one scene with Jeff Goldblum, which... Some would describe it as touching when he like he he's kind of breaks down and Jeff Goldblum strokes his head. But 
that's kind of creepy at the same time. It's like, oh, you're a teacher stroking this young boy's head. Is this normal? I don't know. Well, yeah, and exactly. And I, I thought Steve Biedrowski tackled this really well. So he says, you know, he talked about there being a hidden personal agenda and he went on to say, much of the narrative delivers a message that sounds, even if unintentionally, like a specious rationalising of a child molester. Parents abuse and abandon their children. Strangers who lock them up against their will are doing it for their own good. And no matter how much one protests, one really wants to be loved and touched by adults in positions of authority. Mm. Yeah. You know, to a certain extent, you know, anybody who's making something, you can't get past your impulses. Victor Salva has a particular type of sexual impulse. It's not one society is comfortable with because everybody's feeling is that you you should only really have sex between consenting adults. And if you're below a certain age, you're not really able to give informed consent. Mm -hmm. So you've got a massive problem now. You can't hate him for that impulse because I think we're all pretty much agreed that you can't choose that impulse, Mm. or at least we don't understand, fully understand the mechanism behind it, but we certainly don't choose it. But it's how you choose to behave towards other people on the basis of that. Yeah. He hasn't always behaved very well, and his films are still very much informed by that and you know i'm all for the queer gays in movies Mm. you know i don't have an issue with that at all it's just i question it yeah when it comes to victor self yeah i I, exactly exactly if it wasn't a convicted pedophile (laughs) and didn't serve time in jail that's great it's wonderful you know yeah you've got movies with like uh, male directors with young girls as you know being fetishized and it's fine that's fine to an extent obviously yeah but it's just the fact that he is a convicted pedophile Mm. you can't overlook that (laughs) you just can't no i don't think you can but i mean i did have one rationalization for some of the scenes and that is to kind of I feel like he's trying to normalize human affection between two men, like as affection, not sexual affection, just affection. Yeah. Like the scene with the father and son reconciling, that was beautiful. Yes. And and he, they hug and he kisses him. And it's just like, that's great. We want more of that. We want more of, we don't want this toxic masculinity where we can't show our emotions. And like, we want to see men being able to show their emotions. And also that scene with Jeff Goldblum stroking his head. Yeah. Is that another show of like, you know, normalizing affection between men? Yeah, that's a really good point. And Lance Henriksen, has to be said, is bloody amazing in this, in a role that I, you know, I don't feel like I get to see him do very often. Yeah, he does a lot of B-movies these days. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, he tends to be sort of remote, hard-edged, sort of cold characters. I mean, obviously, Aliens Bishop yeah. is probably the thing he's most famous for. To see him as this guy who breaks down with his son, yeah, that's beautiful, that it scene. Is. It so is. yeah, you're absolutely right the problem is is that so much of what victor salva might be going for here is admirable but 
He's also stripping Sean Patrick Flannery naked and making him wallow around in a puddle. And I'm sorry, there's only one reason why I wanted to do that. Yeah, there's no narrative thematic. Mm. There's no sense to that. And oh, it's a bit of a mixed bag, it isn't is. it? It is. <laughs> it's you, you problematic. Just, yeah, yeah, it is problematic. That's, that's the best word to describe it. Like, it, it's just problematic. Yeah. Like, it's hard to look at these certain scenes and not think, but you're a convicted pedophile. Mm. Yeah, you did this because you like young boys, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not. No, it's not good. It's not good at all. And it, it's funny because I watched Jeepers Creepers, having no previous knowledge of Victor Salva, and thought, "Hey, this is fantastic. Yeah. This is like a throwback to the '80s." I love those movies. <laughs> I really like it, and also it's got a very queer eye to it. And you know, it's it's fetishizing Justin Long in a very particular way. And I thought, mm, "This is interesting." Yeah, yeah. And then you find out who Victor Salva is, and you think. Right, okay, Victor, so you're the creeper. Yeah. That's basically what this is. When somebody is sort of bent over sniffing Justin Long's underwear, mm. this is basically you working through your own demons. And mm. maybe he's dealing with it and he's not doing anything bad now, but it's still part of him and we should forgive people. The whole justice system is aimed towards reform, but yeah. still making movies that fetishize very young men in very particular ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any of the other movies that he's done. Um, mm. Rites of Passage, uh, and The Nature of the Beast, Rosewood Lane, Dark House. Haven't, haven't seen any of those. No. I don't know. I do think he is a talented filmmaker, though. Mm. There's no doubt about it. Like, he does make good movies with a lot of depth a lot of complexity mm. really interesting characters yeah but yeah the underlying problem though is a problem it's hard to overlook yeah yeah it is it is it's a problem now it's time for random trivia so dan what fascinating piece of trivia did you find in your grandparents basement today Yes, so uh, Sean Patrick Flannery. Uh, did you know he plays Greg Stilson, the uh, eerily Trump-like character, uh, in the 2006 TV series adaptation of The Dead Zone? No, I did not know. I've never seen that. I haven't either. But uh, it's it's funny coming across actors uh, in adaptations of, of, of movies that we've covered already. Yeah, it, it the more we do this, the smaller the world seems. Really. I know, I know. <laughs> so many connections. So Conrad, you had some trivia? You might have noticed as Powder comes into town, there is a movie theatre, and I always pay close attention to what's oh. on the marquee, yes, yes. what they're showing. And uh, they are showing uh, Victor Salva's previous film the nature of the beast which oh. also stars lance henriksen and was released direct to video the same year that powder came out theatrically oh right right <laughs> yeah yeah I, it's, it's funny when directors put their own movies in their own movies <laughs> yeah it's a bit egotistical especially giving the nature of the beast a theatrical release but just in this town <laughs> yeah right yeah that's true <laughs> that's our trivia Let's talk about the music, Dan. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jerry Goldsmith at his 90s finest. Yes. What did you think? I mean, I think in isolation, it's beautiful. Mm. It's stunning. It's very Disney, though. Yes. Which I'm not a big <laughs> fan of. But, you know, it is a Disney movie, so to speak. Mm. 
it's supposed to be cliche. It's got Mary Steenberg in it. So you, of course you're going to have the lush strings and the sort of bombastic brass. You've got some synth in there, synth pads. Yeah. A lot of melodic motifs that recur over and over and over again. <laughs> but that's 90s Disney. You expect that. But in the film, I don't know. It made the scenes even cheesier. It's kind of grown worthy at times. Like, oh, God. <laughs> the strings again. <laughs> yeah. I thought you would say that. I think there are a few cases where, and I'll talk about this in the movies, there are a few cases where he really hits the nail on the on the head and he, he the combination of his score and what's happening on screen mm. is incredibly powerful. But there are a lot of cases where it's just sugar on top of ice cream <laughs> with chocolate sauce and syrup it's just uh, like oh please jerry it's a bit much <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly uh just i mean i think it's just the whole package of the film though it's a combination of everything mm. it's just like okay all right no more cheese please <laughs> yeah it's a bit much yeah so interestingly victor salva was shocked to discover when he sold his script and it was set up and greenlit at disney all of a sudden he was told that two composers wanted to work on his film oh. one was jerry goldsmith the other was John Williams. Wow. Both of them vying to work on this beautiful fairy tale. I don't know what it was about it that really attracted them. Right. And he had to pick between these two. Wow. The best composers working at the time, let's face it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It came down to John Williams said that he would only commit to it after he'd seen a final cut. And because of the effects, they knew that that would be fairly late. Yeah. Jerry was prepared to commit sight unseen based on the script. Oh, wow. So... He went with Jerry, but they disagreed on the approach to the film. Oh, okay. Because Victor Salva wanted 70s Jerry. So many people want 70s Jerry. Okay. They wanted the more experimental, dark, twisted, spiky sort of Jerry, sort mm. of Omen era Jerry. Interesting. He wanted powder to be slightly disturbing at the beginning and a little bit unsure of whether he's good or bad. Okay. Whereas Jerry Goldsmith, right out of the gate, as soon as powder emerges from the shadows, in come the woodwinds with the synth pad over the top. It's like, yeah. there's no question, this guy is like... Squeaky clean. Beauty yeah. personified, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no harm here. Yeah. And it all comes down to Jerry apparently was going through a period in his career where he was just sick of horror and sci-fi, right. wanted to do something different. So he did things like the Russia House... Medicine Man and Forever Young, oh, wow. Love Field. He was doing a lot of female-centered dramas and sometimes thrillers like Sleeping with the Enemy, but he was trying to do things that were different. Uh -huh. So, yeah, uh -huh. so that's why this is just sort of very emotional, very soft, mm. very Disney, Yeah, because he wanted a change. Yeah. But Victor did not like it. I kind of wish they went with Victor's... <laughs> Uh, sort of direction. Yeah. I think it would have been a more interesting film. I think you're right. With sort of ambiguous toned music or darker toned music. Because, yeah, I don't know. I, I think because the music is it's very soppy and, and <laughs> cliche, um, the whole movie feels like it kind of flatlines. 
yeah. um, sort of emotionally, I guess, maybe. Mm. I, I don't know. Some of the cues with the bullies with a really abrasive brass, I really quite liked. Mm. Um, but again, it did feel very Disney, even in those cues. Yeah, it's a shame. I think it's a lovely score to listen to. Yeah, I love it. I, I do love it in isolation, just not in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. Okay, it's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite Spoon Tower, erecting parts of the film in a number of electrifying categories. Best quote. My favourite quote is from Donald, uh, played by the one and only Jeff Goldblum. Um, And towards the end, he says to Powder, it's become appallingly clear that our technology has surpassed our humanity. I look at you and I think that someday our humanity might actually surpass our technology. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the theme of the movie. And it was based on Victor Salva's reading of an Albert Einstein quote. I think the first part is Einstein. Yeah. So he was just inspired by this idea of humanity exceeding its physical limitations. Yes, we're all just going to be electricity just zapping around. Yes, (laughs) just zapping all over the place. Yeah, there we go. Yes. Something to look forward to. (laughs) Favourite quote for you. Uh, my favourite quote, I mean, it's not particularly a great assemblage of words. It was just the way it was delivered. And it was sh- shortly after the deer scene, which is a very powerful scene. Yeah. And Mary Steenburgen's talking to him and he looks at her watery-eyed as usual and says, I saw that I don't like what you do, any of you. Mm. So... Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a bit judgy, but I thought it was quite powerful. You know, just this this innocent emerging from the basement and he's just disgusted with everybody. Yeah, yeah. Best hair or costume? Uh, for me, it has to be uh, Ripley's leather jacket. So that's Jeff Goldblum's character. Oh, yes. Which he wanders in with. And I, I think it might be partly because he's never worn it before and it's only after powder has touched him or he touches powder and he says i don't know what happened when i touched you but it's rejuvenated me and i'm having so many ideas and i'm having the best sex of my life or something (laughs) (laughs) and he's wearing this really cool leather jacket that makes jeff goldblum just look twice as sexy and you think he bought the jacket this is a, a symptom of the midlife crisis he's having yeah, after yeah. touching powder. <laughs> yeah, right. So I thought it was a, a lovely piece of costuming, but also uh, I thought it was quite telling. <laughs> oh, I didn't actually notice the jacket, but um, yeah. Mm, it makes sense. Check back. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum in a leather jacket all of a sudden. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, my favourite costume, I think you mentioned it, but like I did really like Powder's sort of uh, sort of dusty brown suit that he wears and he has a tie um, and he's he's got the 90s kind of thin-rimmed oval uh, sunglasses on and, um, and oh, a fedora. Yeah. <laughs> he's wearing a fedora hat as well. Mm. Um, but I don't know. He kind of looks really cool, even though the, it, he's supposed to look awkward and sort of out of place, but it's like, oh. 
I wish I could have worn that <laughs> in high school. <laughs> yeah. Most 90s moment. This movie is very timeless. It's not very 90s. Uh, the only thing that's very uh, that's kind of more obviously 90s is just guys with long hair wearing flannel there's a lot of flannel <laughs> in this movie it seems like every second boy is wearing a flannel shirt um but that's that's really the only 90s thing i could really pick out okay well i went the different route which is because as you say the film is largely timeless technology clothes even music is yeah. not there so it could exist at any time almost so i just looked at it in terms of the the trends in cinema at the time yes and i think the 90s was a time for slightly magical people so i had that as in, an honorable mention yes <laughs> yes so in 96 alone john travolta was phenomenon and michael so mm -hmm. he had sort of telekinesis and he was an angel mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you had sixth sense i see dead people you had the green mile with the healing you had meet joe black the reaper you uh -huh. had city of angels the angel oh, yes. there were a lot of just slightly magical fish out of water movies in the 90s yeah. not sure why <laughs> favorite scene my favorite scene without doubt is the deer scene Mm. I, I just find it incredibly powerful, um, despite the obvious robot deer. Um, <laughs> he says, I, I opened him up and let him see. He could see what he was doing and I showed him. And it's very clear from the performances of both of the characters. So Brandon Smith as Deputy Duncan mm -hmm. and Flannery in the lead role. You can tell exactly what is going on, that he's sharing this deer's final moments with this guy. So he's forced to live it. Mm. And that's, that's why it's really disappointing that later in the movie that the deputy explains what happened, because I don't think you need it. I think it's really clear. Yeah. And Jerry's music is a powerhouse. And I think that's one scene where you get sort of 70s Jerry. It's it's scary. It's not mm, just sure. purely emotive. It's it's really strong, that scene. Yeah, I yeah. I think if the movie was that, I think it would have been more interesting. Yeah. I, I think there are so, a lot of really good single scenes, though. Like, my mm. favourite scene, I did really like the spoon scene. I think mainly because of yeah. the practical effects of... So, in it's the scene where he's the hazing scene where he's he's told to to balance a spoon on his nose but instead he uses his magnetic electrical powers to move spoons around and erect this tower of spoons which is like impossible and yeah. it's just that kind of wonder that i love in those type of movies uh, similar to like in, in matilda um where it's just mm. like wow how do they do that it's amazing <laughs> yeah and it has that lovely little character moment where the last spoon pops its head up and dances yeah, across yeah. the table yeah, it's quite it's, it's actually quite funny to watch quite whimsical but it's, it's like cheeky you know it's yeah yeah he's showing off. yeah and he's enjoying it he's showing off he thinks they'll be delighted but they're just slightly horrified <laughs> most cliche moment cliche for me is uh there's always a, a resuscitation scene oh yeah so this is after powder's been thrown in the puddle and he does this big energy burst that he didn't know he could do and everyone falls to the ground uh, and the bully is is unconscious um and so they're trying to revive him and powder's doing his electric 
defibrillation, defibrillation <laughs> power yeah. that we didn't know he had. Um, and you're trying to resuscitate, resuscitate this bully. And it always goes for longer than it should. Like, oh, we've mm-hmm. lost all hope. He's, he's dead. But then he always comes back to life right at the last minute. Um, and you just, so, you, it's to the point where you just expect this to happen in movies yeah. all the time. Like, it's more surprising when someone actually dies because they never do. <laughs> That's <is> so true. <laughs> Cliche for you, Conrad. Uh, we've spoken about it many times before. The orphan is magical. Oh, yes, that's the Disney cliche. It's always an orphan, they're always magical. Best special effect. You've mentioned my favourite special effect already. It's the dancing spoon. Oh, Um, yes. The single spoon, yeah. The single spoon, because now it would be digital. It absolutely would be, and it would be fake as hell. Mm. Everything about the way it moved and the physics and the reflections would just betray everything about it being fake. That's a real spoon dancing across that table. I don't know how they did it, but it's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I found all the practical effects really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Especially the scene in the, the 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 classroom where there's a Jacob's Ladder electrical device and um, it zaps powder and he starts levitating into the air. It's, that's really well done. It looks incredible, like astonishing. Mm. Yeah, and that's another scene where Jerry Goldsmith's really going for it too. And it's scary. Yeah. He's not going sort of sense of wonder. It's scary. Yeah, Big yeah, yeah. Big brassy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Favourite sound effect. I don't know whether I had a best sound. I, don't, I can't really recall anything that stood out. I guess apart from the last scene with the, the light flares and it was kind of a synthy, weird, whooshy sound... But apart from that, I don't know. There was nothing that really stood out to me. No, the only thing that stood out to me was something I hated. So I have a sound I hate, okay, which is the horrible phased synthesized sound that's way too loud on the soundtrack when he's defibrillating the bully. Oh, yes. It's not in the scene. It's not part of the sound landscape of the scene. It's just clearly just slapped on there. Yeah, Too right. loud. Uh-huh. Obviously synthetic. I just, I don't buy anything about it. Yeah, all, right. That sound. Most funniest moment. What made you laugh, Dan? <laughs> uh, it's it's a line from Jeff Goldblum. It's it's the last scene, and it's such a tiny little throwaway line, uh, but it's the last scene when, when all the characters are trying to convince Doug and Harley, the two cops, uh, to turn the other way mm. and let Powder go. And Doug says he can't do that. And then Jeff replies, and the only way Jeff could, <laughs> of course you do, Doug. Christ's sake, just, you know, turn your head, just like that. And it's got this really <laughs> cheeky smile and how he delivers it. It's just like, oh, I love you, Jeff. I just, uh, just wonderful. <laughs> funniest scene for you. For me, the funniest moment in the film was the sudden interruption during the camping trip of a dramatic flashback in which Powder's mother is hit by lightning right. and suspended in a tube of ascending <laughs> water drops like she's being beamed up by aliens or God or whatever oh. her hand outstretched to her husband who's screaming Anna in horror and massive brassy goldsmith <laughs> 
terror cue, and then bang, it's gone, and it's crickets, fireside, conversation yeah, resumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think, what the f- what's that? <laughs> <laughs> it was just so out of the tone of the yeah. rest of the movie and unnecessary. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Don't show us that. <laughs> That's just terrible. Yeah, like a horror moment in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it was wow. awful. The rest of the movie <laughs> was so smooth. And all of a sudden, wham, here's this flashback. <laughs> no, I was wetting myself. It yeah, just completely wow. broke the film for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's our movie. Please. It is. Hello, this is Mikey Newman from Filmjoy, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Oh, it's time for the final verdict. Should Victor Selva's powder from 1995 be resuscitated from the oubliette and set free into the world to be adored, or should it be struck by a beam of electricity radiating from a Jacob's ladder and be cast back into the darkness of the oubliette, lost forever? Conrad, final verdict for powder. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because on the one hand... It is a very earnest, heartfelt, warm movie. It looks beautiful. Jerry Goldsmith's score is beautiful. It has fine performances from Flannery, Sean Patrick Flannery in the lead role, and from Mary Steenburgen. And Lance Henriksen is really emotive mm. as uh, in the scene with his son. Some great moments there. And Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum. Oh, so good. There's some... Powerful scenes about, you know, trying to create empathy between human beings and helping them communicate with each other and understand each other. There are some good messages in there, some good thematic material, but it's so scattershot. There are so many different powers, so many characters. The irrational hatred towards powder seems completely unjustified. And so the film does, as reviewers have pointed out, feel like it's really about something else. And then yeah. when you delve into what it might be about, you don't feel quite so comfortable. Yeah. And you find it very difficult to separate the art from the artist. Mm. But I will focus on the film. And I think the film, for all of its great assets, I don't think it works. It doesn't satisfy me. I forgot about it after I saw it theatrically the first time. I don't think I'll remember it long after this uh, renewed viewing. Mm-hmm. So... I think I wouldn't recommend it to people. So, yeah, my vote is throw it back in there. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm the same. Uh, I, I think it's, mm. it is a very well-made film. I think it is, there's nothing bad about it. Uh, maybe some of the confused uh, underlying themes. Mm. I think great performances from everyone. The The practical effects are really good. Really, really good. They yeah. really hold up. I... I kind of wanted more of those magical moments and and maybe mm. to have powder change as a character into sort of accepting this new world but he doesn't he's just a stuck up <laughs> high iq'd <laughs> you know pale faced <laughs> electricity beam <laughs> no no um yeah it's really hard to separate the art from the artist in this movie, especially. Um, and, and the fact that I think Disney didn't really even find out about his history until kind of halfway through production. Mm. Uh, I don't know. The fact that he tried to kind of cover it up, and it's, it's hard. 
I I still really do like Jeepers Creepers, though that franchise. Mm-hmm. I think they're great movies, and I'll still like them. But um, I think personally, powder for me, the tone of it was not uh, enjoyable. I I just the sentimental, soppy cheesiness was. Ugh, it was like <laughs> groan worthy. I just. Yeah, I, I can't handle that. I don't. I don't like Disney movies aimed at kind of older than kids, or even some of the the live action movies for kids. Like it's just, it's too wholesome for me. Mm, yeah, but at the same time, like, why were the people so awful? <laughs> in this movie? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't get it's, it. It's 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 like. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm being a hypocrite, but this movie wasn't for me. I would not recommend it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, throwback. Well, that's pretty much sealed its fate. But let's check in with our patrons who also get to vote. Yes. Uh, Hal, how are you doing today? I have complete confidence in our podcast. Oh, that's good to hear. Wow. Um, <laughs> so what did our patrons say in the final vote? Our patrons have decided to throw the film back into the oubliette. Oh, okay. Three for three. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't completely unanimous, but yes, overwhelmingly the vote was to throw it back. Eddie Coulter says, other than a great performance by Lance Henriksen, I didn't really care for Powder. It doesn't help that it's one of those films that's hard to separate the artist from the art. (laughs) So yeah, common theme. Filippo said, It was released in 95 and I still occasionally think about it and my wife and I fairly regularly bring it up. So set it free. So Filippo voted to set it free. Isaac Sutton says, Powder is weird, cheesy and honestly pretty shallow. But it's still one of the better X-Men movies I've seen. Uh, P.S. I didn't know about Victor Salva's past before I started writing this comment, and now that I've done a Google, it casts so, 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 so much of this movie in a really gross light, double lightning, that sucker. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, it sort of changes people's perspective, um, even though some people are still happy to accept it as the heartfelt, empathetic movie that it is. So, Mm. I don't know. It's a shame, but I think... I think it's got to go back in. Yes. Yes. Okay. Come here, Powder. Yeah, just take these sunglasses and get back in there. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. I, I, I was happy to revisit it. And I think it was, I don't know. I don't think people know about Victor Selva enough. Um, and, and the well. fact that he's still making movies. But in saying that, he has done his time. And I, 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 I think I will still watch his movies, as opposed to other people like Woody Allen or Roman Polanski, mm. who haven't done any jail time for the things they've done. So, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, if he does something again, then no. 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 But all of his movies should be burnt. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I enjoyed talking. I enjoyed revisiting it and talking about it. And particularly, I think, navigating the difference between wanting to see more of a queer eye or a queer perspective in films Mm. and not wanting it to be a certain type of queer perspective. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because it's a bit unpleasant. So, yeah, it's it's a tightrope. So it was really interesting to talk about. Yes, 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 yes. 
So what's happening in our next episode? What are we going to be covering? Well, we thought we'd uh, swap things up and go for something that's much less wholesome. So we will be checking out the 1972 American psychological horror film, Sisters. Uh, Oh, yes. Uh Mm. Directed by Brian De Palma, written by Brian De Palma and Louisa Rose and starring Margot Kidder. Ah, mm. uh, yes, we, we saw her in uh, Black Christmas. We did, yes. And most famously, she's Lois Lane in the original Superman oh, of movie. Course. But, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So, really interested to talk about this one. Yeah. Unfortunately, we will not be alone. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, early De Palma as well. Mm. Yeah, very early De Palma. It's probably his first sort of Hitchcockian movie. Oh, so. okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Keen to Looking check it forward out. to checking this yes, out. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, be fun. Oh. And listeners, if you want to keep up to date with our uh, future episodes, you can follow us on all our social media platforms as Movie Oubliette. And you can also email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. We love hearing from you and uh, tell us if you agree or disagree with our final verdicts on uh, our films that we cover. Mm, yes. And if you can separate art from the artist, it's an interesting topic mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And if you want to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you can nominate films for us to cover in future episodes and get access to extended portions of the show. And for $5, you can vote on the final verdict and possibly Mm. tip the scales. Yeah. Or for $10, you can be one of our executive producers with exclusive behind-the-scenes insights like Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, Isaac Sutton, and Dr. Doggy. Uh Uh-huh. Thank you, thank you for supporting us. Yeah, keeping us on the air. Uh, we also have uh, merchandise at Redbubble and a YouTube channel. We have some video essays and uh, some really interesting panels with uh, famous people. <laughs> mm. Yeah, got a few of those on there now. It's nice. Yeah. Okay, listeners, until next time, goodbye. Bye for now. <laughs> We're stumbling around in a very dark age, just trying basically not to kill each other.